Welcome to another edition of TrackCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're starting a three-part series on the annual EarthX Expo and Conference, which unites conservationists, politicos, and the business community for the largest Earth Day celebration in the world. It takes place right here in Dallas at the State Fair Grounds at Fair Park. Today's guest is the founder of EarthX himself, Trammell S. Crow. He is the son of Trammell Crow, the legendary Dallas developer who founded the Trammell Crow Company, which is now operated by CBRE and once had interest in over 300 million square feet of commercial properties. Trammell S. Crow is the president of the Crow Family Foundation, which operates the Trammell and Margaret Crow Collection of Asian Art and the Trammell Crow Sculpture Garden. We do talk a bit about the family's art collection, but his environmental work is quite remarkable. In addition to founding EarthX, Trammell serves on the board of directors at Million Acre Pledge, a nonprofit that seeks to conserve or restore large areas of forest and irreplaceable ecosystems. He's also the co-founder of Texas Business for Clean Air and Texans for Clean Water. He's on the advisory board of the Environmental Defense Fund Texas and Texas Land Conservancy. And in 2016, he was awarded a Green Philanthropy Leadership Award at the 20th Anniversary Global Green Awards. The EarthX Expo, Conference, and Film Festival will return from April 17th through 26th of next year and commemorate the 50th anniversary of Earth Day on April 22nd, which means half Earth Day is coming up real soon on October 22nd. Right now, you can get free tickets to next year's expo over at earthx.org. If you like today's episode, please subscribe to TrekCast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the Real Estate Council on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Instagram and LinkedIn. uh, So you can stay up to date with everything we're doing in DFW and beyond. And now here's Trammell S. Crow, founder of the EarthX Expo and Conference right here on TrackCast. Needless to say, though I'm going to say it here, your family has an illustrious history here in Dallas. Your father was at one time the largest landlord in the country with Trammell Crow Company being the largest developer in the country. What did that mean for your upbringing? Did you feel pressure to achieve similar success in life as as your parents? What kind of responsibility did you feel to expand on that legacy? I'd say two main things about it because many people have spoken on that subject in the past. Sure. Of course, it gives pressure to someone. And, 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 and the test in one's life there is how they respond to that. Uh, no, number one, I didn't grow up a billionaire. Okay. Okay. I grew into, the, as the company grew, uh, I, w- I was uh, born uh, four years after our first building was built. So it was incipient. So I got to, to not have that uh, overweening sense of privilege. And frankly, even though we live in a fancy part of town, Highland Park, you know, it was. It also was a more modest place back in those days. Um, and number three, my the the example of my folks was very common sense. Well, my father was born on a dirt road, and so uh, he never uh, got on his high horse. And then the fourth child, I guess, he got beat up a lot. So. Uh, uh, 
we all responded to it well, and my parents did not preach noblesse oblige and the debt that we owe to society. It was it was by example, and it took. And I'm I'm uh, I'm shocked that without preaching to my kids, they've also learned by example. I think uh, so. It's a sense of community uh, debt, giving back. So, so from a real estate perspective and, and trying to work in your, um, your lifelong passion for environmentalism and, and uh, conservationism, what, what does that example look like in terms of, of Trammell Crow Company? Well, Trammell Co- Company today is not owned by us. It's owned by uh, CBRE. Right. And they, uh, I, I assume, in their construction of buildings and so forth, they do very fine Leeds buildings. There wasn't such a thing uh, in the time of our ownership and building the company. So nobody knew those green things. So they they were very simple things. I I think that we're noted for just putting simple landscaping and trees in front of warehouses instead of butt up to the street with truck dock and truck docks in the back and a facing on the front of the warehouse of stone or brick. And so that landscaping bit evidently uh, uh, made a big difference and helped our success. So doing right pays off. Uh, I remember dad taking me to a property that was uh, had a lot of uh, uh, water uh, shed in it and was explaining to me that we're stewards of the land. Legally, we own this land, but morally, we do not. We're stewards of the land. Uh, uh, I remember just seeing him, uh, images from the early childhood of an, uh, the, the, the environmental leader of Texas until 15 years ago was Ned Fritz. And he's a Dallas man who did most of his work up here. And he would come to the office and he'd talk with dad and dad would make a small contribution to his NGO. Nobody was doing that environmental work of Ned Fritz and virtually nobody was supporting him with uh, donations. So that was a, a good role model for me. Then in the farm, uh, there had been a 20, 30 years ago, or 40 years ago, there had been recent legislation in the state of Texas for conservation easements on property. And the farm, uh, our Mill Creek farm in East Texas, has an area called the Glades, which is a conservation protection area. And that was the first uh, conservation easement in the state. So that was also something that we learned by. But the one that might garner most attention is when Dad started with George H. W. Bush the uh, National Tree Trust, and they probably overshot planting a million trees when Dad was involved, and now it's it's an ongoing project. You were instrumental in, in helping to establish the Crow Museum of Asian Art, which was curated from a very extensive art collection that your family owned. Uh, how did how did that come about? Well, well two things: the collection, and and then the museum and my involvement the collection came about just with mother and father having just a, a, a 
general artistic appreciation of, of Chinese and Japanese and Indian art and the other countries. Uh, they weren't learned in it. Um, it. So my father started off just in small ways, maybe at the Hartman Rare Antiques in the Fairmont Hotel in the 70s. And uh, it was one of the few uh, big outlets for high quality Asian antiques in the southern parts of the United States. And it grew on him. And so he would uh, go through the auction houses, not with knowing, without knowing very much. And he would go for jades. He just had an instinctive love of jade. Uh, one way to interpret that is as a storage of value like gold in those days, the 60s and 70s. Business people down here were buying silver and gold bunion to uh, protect against inflation or other things like civil unrest, paranoias in the 60s. And so uh, Jay could have been a good store of value for my father when it was affordable. And then uh, uh, lastly, uh, when, it got, when it got started, the museum, mother and father went quiet, quietly about their way uh, and hired a curator from San Francisco and uh, a location which conveniently was already existing at the foot of Trammell Crow Center where my brother Harlan uh, built that project and put two ex community exhibit halls in the middle of the arts district in a very unexpected way. So it, maybe he was really, Harlan might have been looking into the future predicting that would happen. So uh, my parents called the kids together, said we're gonna get all the art that we've given you in the past, including your birthday presents, and uh, come into your houses and, and go to the office buildings and hotels around the world where we had put things uh, as, uh, to vet that collection of 2,000 pieces down to 600 pieces, which is Pretty amazing that 600 of the pieces were museum quality. The standards were very high. I had, uh, a few years before, gotten divorced and had uh, uh, taken a, a leave of absence for a year. And then five years later, realized that I kind of extended that leave of absence. So mother said, Trammell, you're not doing anything. Will you run this museum? <laughs> And uh, it's a way to keep you busy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I resented her uh, her uh, uh, her premise, but accepted the job. And also, I was really the artsy kid in the family, and the uh, eastern kid in the family. If you sure. want to put it that way. Did you also get your passion for uh, environmentalism from your parents? I would say no. I would say uh, the attitude of land is steward of the environment. Okay. A steward of the attitude of, towards the environment is steward of the land. Uh, uh, was in, highly influenced my father, but it was in the '60s that I grew up, and environment was in the air, and it was new, and it was controversial, and it appealed to me. Uh, uh, so, the uh, I guess you could say the, the parental influence was to give back now, okay. which way, you know, in medicine or education and so forth, I chose the environment. So why? 
It's always been the most important thing since I was 12 years old. I learned the word environment from okay. my brother. From your brother. <laughs> Harlan, who runs the company today. And, uh, but it was the 60s. And so it was on the front page of the newspaper. And it was part of this new culture of this uh, value revolution of the 60s. So it, it naturally uh, appealed to me because I saw photographs of rivers burning and then my, my father was also an example because he made me work in the yard every Sunday. What stimulated your interest to the subject of conservation in Texas? In the 60s growing up, you had to be almost cold-hearted or, Ill or illiterate not to see that there were major environmental problems. So uh, I was attracted to it. Then uh, back from college in Dallas, I just got involved in a passive financial way with small things that wound up kicking off big things. The USGBC, the U.S. Green Building Council in the 80s, needed a little startup capital. The, also in the 80s, downtown office building community decided to give a crack at paper recycling. So I got that kicked off uh, in the uh, 2000s. I was head of the mayoral uh, task force on recycling for residential uh, recycling throughout the uh, city of Dallas. So those things just kind of kept me a little bit involved. And then in 2008, Garrett Boone and David Littman came to me and asked me to join forces and work with them. There was a, a problem with TXU, our very fine electrical uh, utility, applying for permits for uh, uh, coal-fired plants for 11 different plants. And that company could not have built those plants at that time. They couldn't have uh, justified that expense whatsoever. So they really needed four plants or three. Uh, they were applying for more plants so they could have permits that would be ever evergreen. They could pull it out in 25 years when they needed to build more plants and say, we have a permit to build a, 19, a 2010 plant. Well, it's a dirty plant. And so the business community, uh, David Lippmann and, and Garrett Boone, the founder of Hotel.com and GetARoom.com and the co-founder of Container Store came to me uh, as a businessman and environmentalist and asked me to join up with them to lobby in Austin to uh, prevent this, uh, uh, to lobby the, the governor. And uh, I joined them. And it was that experience of success that made me realize in Texas, real progress can be made in the conservative pro-business fashion. And I didn't want to go be a fringe element tree hugger anyway. <laughs> so how, at what point does the expo come into play? How did EarthX come about? Well, the, the Texas business for clean air lasted about two years and then the battle was over. And the way EarthX happened was I just thought, well, I know my work, my life work in the future will be environmentally related. So what should it be? Uh, I know I don't want to just give money to some other groups to, to do it. I want to uh, know how it's being done and what the metrics of success are. But then it occurred to me that six months later, there was April 22nd, 
Earth Day, and that wouldn't it be nice for Dallas to have a, a large expo of all the environmental initiatives and solutions, how corporations help do it, and how environmental groups get it going, and volunteer opportunities and so forth, not realizing that that does not exist in the United States. Earth Day uh, started out as a you know pretty uh, ill-defined, multifaceted, uh, uh, cultural and, and value-oriented change so long ago in the 70s. But now the issues are out of the table. It's specific problems, how to solve them, and they're hairy issues. So uh, uh, without doing our homework, we just thought that this is what should be done. This is what happens in New York, in San Francisco, in Tokyo, in uh, Berlin. And the reason it was important to me is because uh, the awareness level, the, the raising of awareness, because in Texas, we're particularly used to oil and gas and hyperconsumption and uh, uh, litter. We're better now because people have learned not to mess with Texas. <laughs> but uh, so I thought that type of education in the general public would be through Expo. You see, you, you read, but in the Expo you do. And uh, it was a success. And uh, every year grew in a lot in one way or the other. It was always unpredictable. Since it wasn't pre-existing in any other city, we were inventing it really as we went along. Yeah. So, what should should there be a film festival? What form should it take? Uh, that type of thing. Why was Dallas the right place to launch EarthX? Because this is where the need is. Uh, now we go up to Washington and we have big, high-level, fancy meetings, and we talk usually to a lot of liberal environmentalists. And I go in there and say how big Texas is and how we got 177,000 people at the event and they've never countenanced anything like that. And then I say, they're all sinners. And they love the fact that we're not preaching to the choir. Really, everywhere I go, conference of, of any type, they're preaching to people or lecturing or conferring with people who are already in it. And they've come because they believe in it. And what we try to do is to, uh, is to persuade people to come because it's an expo and it's Earth Day and that has a great image. And we have things to do and family, uh, uh, a family affair. Uh, so that sometimes uh, the education is subliminal. Uh, sometimes it's kids talking to kids. Uh, but it's based on expo and then it's grown to other things. From an educational standpoint, what, I guess, I mean, I'll use the term key messages. It's not quite what I'm getting at. What, what are the important things to impart on the public with regard to the environment mm. through the expo? In your well, mind? it depends on where you are. You know, if you're in Montana, it's how to save animals through proper hunting and fishing. And if you're in uh uh, Miami is to talk about sea level rise and what they need to do to save those coral reefs right there with the effluent emitted from uh, commercial development along the coast. Here is to teach people that environment is so many other things than climate. Climate is, some people, the, the, the warmest believe that climate 
is the existential threat of our times. But there, the surveys show that the majority of the general public agrees with that. Um, that man-made climate is an existential threat. But the leadership in Texas does not behave that way. So we educate the public on how to vote, number one, how to vote with their dollars. But we also teach, if, uh, if you will, uh, uh, confer with business and political leadership that environment's not just climate change. That's what Texas leadership uh, uh, opposes in many ways. They don't oppose animal populations or saving habitat or uh, uh, not throwing plastic everywhere. So uh, it's, it's motherhood and apple pie to say, I'm for the environment. Even us good Republicans say that nowadays. So what we're trying to impart is they don't have to talk about climate change. They can talk about air pollution. Air pollution, Donald Trump, is the thing we need you to do. Yep. Clean it up. <laughs> we'll make sure we'll get that that message over over to the president. Thank I'm you. sure he's listening track. to this one. Um, so where where would you like to see the the expo progress from here in the coming years? Uh, we want to, the uh, the importance of the conferences to grow. Uh, we want the film festival to have a, an international reach. Uh, we want the expo to truly become a world's fair quality. And let me go into those points, if I may. Sure. We had a great film festival in Dallas, Texas. Mr. Michael Caine started it as the Deep Ellis Film Festival. And now it's the Dallas Film Society, and it's wonderful. I think it's the largest film festival south of the line between Washington and L.A. By far. Uh, Michael Caine has started our film festival, EarthX Film, and it is a couple of movies short of being the biggest. I always have to struggle with that because I want to be the biggest in Texas. <laughs> of course. But we had 49 virtual reality and augmented reality films last year. So in many categories, it's the largest, it's the most dynamic. What I want to see is films generated from the business community, films generated from corporations, instead of kind of the arts and film festival, nature films, and uh, we want visitorship to that, to be national and international, like Toronto, uh, like uh, Tribeca, like the Visitors and Convention Bureau in downtown Dallas would like to see happen. Uh, conferences, that's where you really talk to influencers. Uh, chief sustainability officers of corporations who go home back to their corporations to make real changes. Uh, foundations that learn what the issues are or what the most effective NGOs to give to are. They come to the conferences. Uh, here in Texas, the oil and gas industry and the other big industries in Texas and the political leadership is a a major audience for us. And that's probably the main reason that we have the largest expo in the world, the largest number of NGOs to the conferences and to the expo is because they want to come to Texas and we're the conduit for them. Not just come to Texas because there are a lot of homegrown groups here. Uh, uh, our strengths are things that apply to the heartland things that apply 
to the business community, things that apply to political leadership, and things you can't say in Washington, D.C. And I've learned in the last three years, there are a lot of things you shouldn't go around saying in the corridors of power. Uh, in Dallas, Texas, Republican politicians can address and learn about political, about environmental issues that they don't really want to talk to publicly. Uh, I think the, the world knows by now the Republican Party has come around a fair amount on environment, but not that uh, they don't tout it so much because of their uh, campaign supporters. Um, conferences, uh, legislation in Texas, the congressmen, the state reps and senators, the session's only held every other year so we can get them up every other year and influence them. Um, we have uh, had, and believe we'll have this year, a conference on oil and gas, on responsible oil and gas, on how to frack safely. And I can't even talk about that when I go to San Francisco because they will not countenance it. But fracking ain't stopping. Gas is a transition fuel. There are people here that think gas is a fuel forever. You know, it will be as long as it lasts. So we have to learn how to do that better. And it's the responsibility of Texas industry to do this. Uh, you know, there's small companies, there's some other places, but we got the big ones and we're it and it's our responsibility to frack better. Um, the uh, last example I'll give besides businesses working with environmental groups and Republicans working with uh, uh, Democrats, which those things happen here is the uh, wildlife conservation, endangered species, don't even talk about it. 90% of the big fish in the ocean are already gone. Now let's, 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 let's get them back. But there are a lot of different endangered species. These, 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 the Dallas Safari Club and other uh, environmental uh, hunting and fishing groups here are incredibly powerful. Uh, Texas spends more money uh, hunting and fishing overseas than any foreign nation. And I can't remember how much money is spent on outdoor recreation and hunting and fishing, but I think it's half a trillion or something every year. Um, so those are things that we can do. And the reason we do it is for the hunting and fishing clubs will become even more serious. Because again, this is like the oil capital. This is the hunting fishing capital. And I've been bowled over at how committed hunters and fishers are to wildlife conservation. And there are certain groups that if I say hunting and fishing, they say, uh-uh, it's wildlife conservation. We don't do hunting and fishing. We do wildlife conservation. That's how committed they are. If, if, if understanding is the best thing in the world, then we've got to bring that type of conservationist together with the environmentalists because they're at odds with each other. And it's one more way to bind Republicans and Democrats, believe me. And, and this month, we'll have 100 uh, hunters and fishers come to, uh, to my house for this very thing. Hunters and fishers on a mission. Watch out. Through EarthX, you've been able to bring some pretty unlikely parties 
together to the table to have you know significant conversations and and hopefully lead to uh, positive results. People, you know, politicians, donors, scientists, executives, nonprofit leaders. How have you been able to do this? How, why why has this been uh, successful in that way? Because from the very beginning, we invited corporations from the very beginning. And I, I suppose that since it was the son of a business titan starting it, that they, they probably assumed I might not be a card-carrying communist. And uh, we proved to them that first year, uh, going after uh, Kimberly Clark, that not cut down as many trees as they used to. They do a very fine job now. Many corporations in, rain, in paper have because of rainforest, and we want them to tout that. Uh, they get credit for that. Uh, British, Petro British Petroleum and, and Shell and ExxonMobil do stand-up jobs on clean tech innovations to, and energy efficiency. We want to show that because we want the people to know that business is not the villain that Hollywood portrays them to be. That really was one of my early uh, uh, goals, and I can't say why that would logically fit as a major highway for an environmental group that was just me and uh, from the very beginning all the facets of this environmental community agreed with it and went for it uh, the very first event right after it uh, uh, a land conservation group came and said, Trammell, you put us right by a corporation. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean, who, who are you next to? I won't do it again. They said, no, no, no. We didn't know these people. We have wanted to know this company. And now we know them. I said, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's why I put you next to it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it really, really told us uh, the signals. We just pay attention to the customer. You know, the public's our customer, the exhibitor, the corporation, the, the environmental group, the speaker. Just listen to what we're doing because we are molding this event without any uh, manual. Why would we bring the different elements together, the Republican and the Democrat, the liberal and the conservative, the business, the environmental? Because we're in Texas. <laughs> we To succeed, we have to get... Republicans to the event and businesses to the event. Uh, that's what makes up Texas in the past and the leadership. So uh, once we realized, as we did that, that nobody else is doing it. Uh, I should have said, go figure, right? Everybody's polarized. Everybody's in their silos. And then uh, on the fifth year, we started having one conference called Future 500, which is about corporate sustainability, and the CSOs, Chief Sustainability Officers, coming, and environmental groups would come. They were very choosy, and they still come with us every year, uh, very choosy on, on who they bring, and they curate the conference by subject and by who comes and by who sits next to whom. So this type of environmental group on ocean and certain ocean issues is meeting a foundation and a corporation that's compatible, simpatico with that. Uh, 
the second year, we started the legal symposium through the good graces of Jeff Sivens with Haynes and Boone in Austin, Texas. They've had the environmental super conference in Austin. Only Austin can do. And it's fun as hell. It's been going on for 20 years. So uh, Jeff and a number of uh, people in Washington and Texas help us put together a legal symposium. Uh, we have uh, a, an energy conference, of course, and it's quite strong. Uh, we've had in the past, and we hope to have again this year, the Responsible Oil and Gas where uh, uh, exploration companies of gas and oil come and listen. I think it was for two days. And these 60 oil and gas companies had, were riveted. Their attention was kept for maybe a day and a half on how to do it better. Nobody's going to do that but Texas. So uh, it's, up our, it's up our alley. We also have a uh, university conference with... I don't know, but it might be 125 different universities, very, very top universities. And all the Texas universities go Aggies, okay? Uh, uh, Got to put in a, a plug every now and then. Might be a little controversial for our show to get into the college football. Oh, no, no. I but, mean, Aggies. I mean, uh, Texas A&M, Texas right. Agricultural Mechanical. Okay. Texas A&M is remarkable on the environment. Yeah. And... They had 33 booths showing their tremendous architectural engineering initiatives and uh, sustainable agriculture and sustainable ranching uh, might be more important than the oil and gas industry as far as pollution and erosion. So Texas A&M is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, now we have an ocean conference and now we have an island resilience conference and it's our belief that 25 ambassadors or heads of states of small nations little islands uh and new zealand and iceland we, we believe and then the whatever you call the number one guy of uh an island off the coast of Mexico or, or Canada, this is big ones, adding up to more like 35 leaders will be coming. To, and most of these guys are, just came from the UN conferences on ocean law, commercial fishing and overfishing is uh, a big problem. Uh, the wildlife, the hunters and fishers do not want to come to a conference and sit at a damn desk or a seat in a room all day. So we don't call it conference, but we'll essentially have that. Um, uh, the uh, city conference and urbanism is something that we're still forming. And uh, I hope that we have a Dallas-centric event about planning, um, uh, green building material, infrastructure, big data, data centers and uh and smart city and expo and conference and the attendees will be fantastic themselves because dallas is a world capital for development and they got a lot to learn and teach <laughs> of course um now in in 2020 we have two big anniversaries coming up it's the 10th anniversary of the EarthX conference and the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. 
what will um, what will you be doing? What will EarthX be doing uh, to celebrate these milestones? It's going to be big. And like I say to everybody I meet, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day Worldwide will be headquartered in Dallas, Texas. It ain't happening in Philadelphia because there's no other event on April 22nd or frankly throughout the year as far as the general public goes that does anything of major consequence like we do. So the 50th will be celebrated here. Our expo is Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Our conferences start on Thursday, but Wednesday happens to be April 22nd. So we're going to have major speakers, world speakers, people who were at the April 22, 1970 Earth Day in Dallas, Texas. There are a few. And the fellows in, in Wisconsin and Michigan with preservation and conservation made it happen from the beginning. Uh, politicians in Washington who were there in the, in the first days uh, and then leaders of environment even today who sprung from back then like Ralph Nader and uh, Bill McKibbage we hope Bill comes we're gonna have a Mexican pavilion a, Co a Colorado pavilion I think a small Canadian or large Canadian pavilion and a hemp pavilion uh, really in honor of the 50th because we're going national now and we believe that hundreds of Coloradoans and Mexicans will uh, be coming to the event with uh, uh, lots of things they can teach us including how to keep the snow from melting. That's all for today's episode. Tune in Thursday for the next installment of our EarthX series and get your tickets for next year's expo over at earthx.org. Remember to subscribe to TrekCast on your preferred podcasting platform and follow Trek on social media. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.